Okay. So we're at the bottom of Chaf Vav Amid Beis 26b, and we're on the subject of Kohen doing the service uh, and drinking, and specifically about Birkas Kohanim. Can you do Birkas Kohanim uh, if you a Kohen had drunk something? So uh, let's. It's Shikr Aser Benesias Kapayim. It's about uh, six lines up. <laughs> it says shikr, which means a shikr is somebody who's totally drunk, but actually uh, you're not allowed to drink anything. It means even a little bit. So, shikr osipetsiyas kapayin, manahani, where does the Torah say it? Um, specifically, birchas kohanim, I understand the base hamigdosh, but when you give a bracha, what's interesting is that it's not just that people think the kohen gives a bracha, that's not what happens at all. The Kohen causes the Shechina to come down and give a bracha through the Kohen's hands. So, uh, since the Kohen is dealing with the Shechina, you can't play around. You've got to be in total awe and at your best. So, you can't drink anything when you're doing Birkas Kohanim. It's not just you wishing your fellow Jew the best, but you need to bring the Shechina down to look and gaze on Klau Yisrael. So, but where does the Torah say it? So Shikr Asubin says Kaman Omar Yeshua bin Levi Mishumbar Kapar, Lama Nisma Parshis Kohen Mavorek, La Parshis Nazar. Why is Birkas Kohanim next to the Bracha uh, to the Parsha of Nazar? Lamalach my Nazar Asubayin. The main component of a Nazar is he's forbidden to drink. Af Kohen Mavorek Asubayin. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Good morning. How are you today? Thank Good, Bruch Hashem. Well, we went back a little bit so you wouldn't miss. Uh, we're at the bottom of 20. Six uh, B three lines from the bottom. So uh, and we. Good morning, Doctor Yaffe. So we just established that we learn out the Kohen Mavorech, the Birkas Kohanim, that uh, from Nazir. Just like the Nazir isn't allowed to drink wine, that's part of how he serves the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Also, the Kohen Mavorech is not allowed to drink wine. Just like the Nazir can't eat his grape jelly. He can't even eat herzen, which is like grape seeds. If you're going to tell me we compare the Kohen to Nazir. Um, so why don't we go all the way and say, and specifically about the wine. So the wine, you can't divide it in half and say, well, just like a Nazir, he can't eat wine, but the Nazir can't eat anything from grapes. It uses the word to do the service and bless. We find in other places that a Kohen is allowed to eat grape seeds and do the service. In other words, this question of doing Birchas Kohanim and drinking wine is similar to the question of doing Birchas Kohanim and going to the base of Mikdash. And in the base of Mikdash, we find that you're allowed to have grape seeds for breakfast. You're allowed to eat Kohen. So it must be that to give the bracha also, you're allowed to have the grapes. So then the more as a question, as we turn to the top of today's page, Chav Zayin of 27a, E my Mashris Bal Mumlo. Well, if you're going to look at doing the service, you can't have a blemish Kohen do the service. Now, a blemish is not, uh, doesn't mean that he's handicapped. It just means that uh, some blemishes are also handicaps, but a blemish means that he has something uh, on the outside, that doesn't—it's a very external kind of thing that makes him look funny. 
Uh, it's a blemish that shows that he's imperfect. And we strive uh, to give Hashem the best. One of the early mistakes in history was um, Cain brought an offering from the leftovers. And ever since then, uh, in other words, you don't give Hashem your rejects. You always try to give your best. And uh, therefore, the, even the Kohen should not look like there's something, uh, he's less than perfect who does the avoda. So if that's true, uh, that you can't do the avoda when you're less than perfect, so you shouldn't be able to give Birkas Kohanim if you have a blemish. So the Gemara says, now there are laws about Birkas Kohanim, but but uh, uh, the blemishes are different. They're very, you can have a blemish, is, uh, you can even have an eye blemish that, uh, you know, that you wouldn't even notice, or a, a lip blemish. So Gemara answered, no, ha'ishkis le'nazer. Uh, we compare the Kohen to the Bracha to the Nazar. The Nazar, there's no problem of blemishes. So, too, there's no problem of blemishes for Birchas Kohanim. So then the Morris says, How can you have it both ways? We learn now to be lenient um, that, like a Nazar, there's no requirement of blemish. Maybe we should go to and say there is a requirement of no grapes. So the Morris said, and this Gemara gets to the answer, asmachtin in him in Rabbanin Lakula. In the end of the day, this is not 100% limud. Uh, in other words, uh, it really, that's one of the halachas that we know is that a Kohen is not supposed to drink when he does the, he's, he benches Klau Yisrael. I, we said, we learn out from Nazar. It's not really the source. It's a hint to it. And once it's a hint to it, um, you can't take it as seriously, so to speak. A hint is that there are different rules for asmachta than there is for a complete rasha. So since it's just a hint, and it's really just midrabanin, the rabbi said that you can't do birkas kohanim if you drink. It's not minatora. So therefore, we can be lenient and say, well, you can't drink wine, but you can have you can eat grape jelly on your on your bagel in the morning. Okay. That's what that's what the Gemara says. It comes out in the end that it's only halacha midrabanin. So there's an interesting thing in Tosus here. Let's look at the top Tosus. Um, the uh, yeah, let's look at the top Tosus. Imay mashes b'amumlo af mevorek b'amumlo pirsha kuntris kim diafin gzeir shav and mashris. Just like we learn out from mashris name k'mo mashris. You can't do the avoda when you're a baal Tosus says from here, You see from our Gemara that you're allowed to do birchas kohanim even with a blemish. Because the Gemara wants to learn one from the other. And the Gemara then says that it's only uh, it's only a asmakta, um, okay. But what do we come out? It is clear from the Gemara that a kohen, the fact that he has a blemish alone, doesn't exempt, doesn't isn't a problem for him to do birchas kohanim. Now again, there are other criteria that are brought in halacha that would it would uh, not allow a kohen to do a birchas kohanim. Usually, most of the criteria have to do with things that make people stare at him, uh, things, problems with his uh, 
um, uh, unusual uh, um, health issues. Um, that, that those are brought lahalacha, but a, a blemish itself is not necessarily a problem. But how far does that go that a blemish kohen is allowed to do birchas kohanim? So Tosos has the surprise here. Umikan daito. What about if a kohen uh, was in another religion? He converted. So and now he wants to come to shul and do birchas kohanim. That's that looks like a blemish to me. But he says, no se kapov. If you can go with a blemish, a blemish means imperfect. If you can be imperfect, so he, he, he's done tshuva, but now he's imperfect because he was worshipping in another religion. No se kapov. Avakasha lisa ne kapov, olikris betorah. And Tosas then says he could be a balkora, as if he never did it. It's really interesting. I, I'm not sure what Tosas' proof is. But I guess he's assuming that once you say, does a Kohen have to be perfect or not? Now, right now he's about tshuva, but it's not perfect that he has a checkered past. Uh, but once you say that we allow a Kohen with imperfections to, to do this, so then, uh, then it would include uh, the imperfection of having done another religion. Again, it's, I'm reading the Tosis, so it's just interesting where he goes with this. Um, we had, I had a shul over 35 years ago, and the only one who was, knew how to do be a Balkriya well was a Kohen married to a Gioris, which is forbidden. And so, in other words, Al-Balkora al had a problem that he didn't keep all the Torah halachas. And it was, uh, we had a lot of Shilas with him, um, whether he could be the Balkora. In other words... Can you have somebody read the Torah that openly doesn't keep part of the Torah? Well, you could argue that a lot of people don't speak Lashon Hara like every Balkora. You don't really examine and see if they do everything. But maybe this was different. And certainly they shouldn't read the Parsha about the Kohen, about who he shouldn't marry, right? But at any rate, we had that. That's a very practical question. But Tosos here says that uh, for Kriya Torah and for, um, uh, for Birkas Kohanim, that that if they they uh, it would the Baal Mum is accepted. And he brings a proof. So again, it's just interesting because I'm skeptical on the whole Tosus, but I'm reading uh, what he says. So um, there there was a famous um, somebody set set up an alternative base Hamigdash uh, because uh, he couldn't get the job of Kohen Gadol, so he set up his own base Hamigdash called the House of Choni. And the Kohanim, they made a rule that any Kohen that works in the... We don't have an alternative Beis HaMikdush. We don't have... You only have one Hashem. You can't go to the alternative Beis HaMikdush. But if you did, you, it says they can't work in the Beis HaMikdush. But it implies... But they're at least a Balmum uh, that he wants to say they could... Uh, so uh, Tosus is coming out from our Gemara that from the... that could be to do the service you're not allowed, but to do Birkas Kohanim, or to do Kriya Torah or other things, it could be you would accept a blemish Kohen, a less than perfect Kohen. Okay, just, uh, just interesting. There are multiple opinions on these issues, but it was just interesting that Tosus went there. Okay, back to the Gemara. So, Eluhein Mamadus, four lines from the top. These are the Mamadus of Ishinem, Ressavus, B'nai Yisrael. So this is all a quote in the Mishnah. 
So um, this is important because many people are not aware. Uh, they're aware that Kohanim worked in the base of Migdush, and they're aware that Leviim worked in the base of Migdush. They don't realize that Yisraelim also had responsibility in the base of Migdush, and that's called Mamados. And it's mentioning in our Yontar Tefillah, Yisrael Bamamadam. So uh, the, the Mishnah mentioned the setup and it quoted a Pasuk that it sounded like Minatorah, the Yisraelim, are involved in the base of Migdush. So my Kamar, though, but the Mishnah doesn't read well. In other words, it's, uh, it's clear that we're missing a line or two, which often happens. Um, I once told you that uh, Riff Huttner has a piece where he says has a theory that they did it on purpose. When they wrote down the Mishnah, they deliberately didn't, uh, they wrote down like cliff notes. They, did, they, do, they wrote it in a short version so that people would realize that there's more to the oral law. They didn't write down everything. And that's why so often in the Gemara you have a uh, This is what it means to say. Hey, this person has to have a Rebbe or has to have the Torah Shabbat to help him figure it out. So, what the Mishnah meant to say is why did they institute Mamadus? And how is it possible that your Corbin could be brought for you? That's you. And the Corbin, by the way, according to some, takes a person's place. It's as if that person is being shechted and offered to the Almighty. But who ain't Omid al Gabav and you're not even there? How could it be? The early prophets understood this is what Hashem wanted. So they made Esrim Va'arba 24 Mishmaros. I'll call Mishmar Mishmar. In addition to the 24 groups of Kohanim, they had a Maimed, B'Yushalayim. And the Maimed was made of Kohanim, Shalavim, Shal Yisraelim. They, they, they divided up the service. They realized it's not practical to have everybody in the base of Migdash all the time. So there'll be those that go and represent the rest of Klau Yisrael. So the, the, this way there will always be Kohanim Levim and Yisraelim in the base of Migdush on a given week, and they'll represent everybody else. Uh, and when it's time to come up, so Lalos Kohanim Levim, the Kohanim Levim, Olin Yushalayim, they come into Yushalayim. Tan Rabbanan, our rabbis learned Esrim Arba Mishmaros Eretz Yisrael. There were twenty-four in Eretz Yisrael. The Shtaim Esrei BeYericho, and twenty-four in Jericho. Um, I'm just looking at that big Aleph. What, what he changes there? I can't find it when I need to. Um, just looking for the text. Um, This is the, he, he quotes a Grah, and the Grah says these are Levium. I don't know why that's important or not, but okay. There are 24 Mishmars of Levium, the Eretz Yisrael, and there were 12 in Yericho. So the Mora has a question. Shtaim Aser B'Yericho, Nefishin L'Hutuva. You got 36 if you have 24 and 12, so that's going to knock off our numbers. So if we just said there's a total of 24, and then we said there's 24 and 12. Now, the, out of the 24, half would stop in the suburb. Jericho was like a suburb of Yushalayim. If you remember, you could even uh, hear the service from Jericho, from Yericho. 
when it was time to come up, Chatzia Mishmer Hayolam Me'eret Yisrael Yerushalayim, part would come to Yerushalayim, but Chatzia Mishmer Hayolam Yericho, some would come to Yericho, Kedeshi Yasek Mayim Umazan Lakim Yerushalayim. If the people came up, so um, who took care of them when they were up? Who, who brought them water and who brought them food? So half would come to stop in, in Yericho to set up the food supply and the food chain to support those that were in Yerushalayim. Amr Yudam Shmuel. We never talked about that. Where did the Kohanim eat breakfast? You know, did they eat meat for breakfast? Did they live off the Karbanos? Or did, uh, was there, when Kohanim went to do the Avoda, there had to be a system to take care of them, uh, to provide for them. So we're saying that uh, the, uh, that was done out of Yericho. He says that if you have, you need all three components. If you're short a Kohen, you're short a Levi, you're short Yisraelim, the Korban cannot be brought. He's saying that's essential. Rashi, Ma'akvenes uh, the Korban, it's a little bit uh, above the middle part of the Gemara. Im ein maimed mekulam b'yushalayim, if you don't have a mixture of all three, they're all three essential. So it's very clear that each part was essential that you had all three. Back to the Gemara. Over here, the main thing of notice here is that you have to have the musical instruments. You got the Levium, it's not enough to have a Levi do a vocal, he must have his music. That's an argument. He must have his instruments. One view is if they want, they could skip the harp and the lute and the flute and all that stuff. The main cheer is Bepa. Umar Sabr, no, Ikashir Bakli. This was a discussion we've quoted in the past. It's fascinating though, um, uh, to this day, there's a discussion really about music. Is the music the sound, or is the music the vocal? Uh, and uh, it comes out that if the main shear is the uh, is the music itself, the kli, so then um, there's a lot of significance to that music. That that, that music is part of this. So it was done also with prophecy. So now the Mora is going to get into the history of the 24 Mishmaras. How did it come about? So first white line, he says, we started off with eight. Abraham Eliezer, Vidalad, Isamar. There was Eliezer, Isamar, Itamar, and those were the eight. And the time of Shmuel, they needed to double them. They were getting too large. So they turned them into 16. Arba David came along, and he gave our present form of 24. That's the psukim over there. So again, we're learning that the, originally they were just two sons of Aaron. And then in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, they divided them into eight. And then in the time of Shmuel, they divided them into 16. And then David made them into our current a system of 24. Moshe made them eight. Four from each. David and Shmuel, who lived at the same time, turned them into 24. So this is a contradiction. This says that David and Shmuel worked together. So the Gemara said, 
you're right. This is what it means to say, that uh, from David and Shmuel together, they reached um, 24. It comes out that Shmuel, that you didn't have that uh, middle step of Shmuel turning them into 16. Let's see, Rashi. Shmuel was called the seer, by the way. Um, it's interesting. Argamora calls him, yeah, it says Shmuel Haroa, and then it calls him Shmuel Haramasi. He was called the seer. Uh, he, he saw things that people didn't see. Uh, they called prophets seers in those days. So let's see the Rashi. Hey, me, you said, Dabr Shmuel Harob and Asim. Vichuf did Rev Hamadam or Shmuel, Midam al Yudvav. He said, Shmuel was the one who made it 16. No, but, and David did 24. No, they were a partnership. And by the way, how did David know the Makam Hamigdosh? And the, the Torah records that David went to prophecy school briefly and uh, t- discussed things with Shmuel. So our understanding was that Shmuel gave over to him the basic uh, concepts of where the base of Migdash would be and Yerushalayim and uh, the Korbanus. So there was a partnership between the first king, David, uh, who, the, well, not the first king, but the, the uh, David taking over his monarchy and understanding the building of the base of Migdash, which he got from Shmuel. Back to the Gemara. Tanya Edek Moshe, Shesri, Mishmar Moshe did 16. Now, when there got to be, the numbers didn't stay even. The numbers of the families didn't stay even. So then, then they divided them to 24. They made 16 out of one and 18 of the other, eight of the other, and that's how they got 24. And if that's not enough for you, we have a second Pasuk, my Vyomer, what do you mean if that's not enough? We always have this in the Gemara. Whenever it uses the word Vyomer, it's more than one proof. But it means that there's a reason why the Gemara sought to bring another one. So the Gemara said, what's the reason you did another one? Maybe just like the sons of Elazar grew and multiplied, maybe they did too. So the Gemara said, no. Shemona um, Mekara. Uh, that they were eight, originally they were four. Um, but that they didn't, uh, one side increased and one didn't. Okay, Tashma, Beis Av, Echad in case you thought they both increased, so that's why we brought the second Pasuk, Beis Av, Achaz Alaz, Rechaz Leisamer. But this is not like Rav Chama Bar that they had that middle stage of 16. Omer Lach Rav Chama Bar this is actually an argument about how they divided the Mishmars. It's really a Kabbalistic argument about how the Avoda is divided. The more, it seems to be a practical thing, how they divided the families. But the more is saying, no, it's a Machlokas Tanoim. And he says, I hold like the one who says there was eight, that there was this uh, division. Uh, now, uh, everything was working great at the first base of Migdush. And then we went into Golis. And it had to be reestablished by Ezra. Now, when Ezra came, uh, we had to figure out how to do it again with who, people who came back. So, unfortunately, not all the Kohanim came back. Not only that, very few Leviim came back. It's really interesting. Uh, um, that's, by the way, why today there are not as many, you would expect there to be many more Leviim than Kohanim. Right? Kohanim are from the tribe of Levi. There were 
the Levi was much bigger than the subset of Kohanim. And yet today, um, the, there, I, don't, I don't have a complete survey, but just it doesn't seem to me that there are more Levium than Kohanim at all. And sometimes it seems like there's less. So how did that happen? So uh, the answer is that a lot of them never came back at the time of Ezra. But even the Kohanim, out of the four families, Mishmar, Olam, and Agola, the four families came back. So as we turn the page, so now they've got a big problem. There's that only four families came back uh, to rebuild the base of Migdash. And uh, um, how do you divide the service now? So there were prophets there, and they divided them. They took those four and turned them into 24. Now, what did they use? So they used the famous method that we divided Eretz Israel with, the lottery. A lottery was often done to prevent fights. Important rule that you, um, you always have to show things are done fairly for people to feel... Um, you even have it in this week's Parsha that uh, Yosef Hatzadik didn't, I'm sorry, Yaakov Inu didn't want Yosef Hatzadik to feel bad that his mother wasn't buried uh, in Eretz Israel. And so, it's, it's next week's parsha. but they, they, it's important that Yosef never complained, but even if somebody doesn't complain, you don't want them to do something that would lead them to complain. And so, therefore, many things were done with a system that you can't argue with. The lottery comes from Hashem. So anyways, they did this lottery. Uh, so he took six families. Uh, again, you have four families taking the slot of six fa- of uh, of the four are taking over for the twenty-four. So each one of the four takes six. Six times four is twenty-four. Now, what happens if some of the Kohanim decide to come back? Uh, they were still in Bavel. So what happens if Yehorav comes back? Rosh Mishmar, and he was always first. So it's too late. Once he missed the bucket and didn't come back, and we reestablished a new order, so they can't say, well, in the first base of English it was this way. Well, you didn't come back, you blew it. So it's going to stay that way. Okay. Now we get back to the Mamadus. What do the Mamadus do? So they, some of them stay in the cities, and they read from the Torah about Maisebrashis. Uh, what does Maisebrashis have to do with Korbanos? So, if it wouldn't be for the, the Mamados, the, the Avoda of the Yisraelim that was done, uh, and the, the Kriya, the Davening, the world wouldn't exist. We believe that Davening is one of the pillars of the world. The world stands in Torah, Avodu Gemilz Chasadim. And it's weaker today because we don't have the base of Migdash, but we definitely need to realize that our avoda is one of the pillars. The world would not exist for that. And that's the Mashanem Rabbi Yom Hashem Lokim. Now, where do we see that in the Torah? Because Avravinu says to Hashem, How do I know my descendants will inherit the land that everything will come true? Yeah, he says, I know maybe the Jewish people will make a mistake. They won't do it on purpose. Maybe chas v'shalom, they'll be Jews. They won't do what they're supposed to. So uh, are you then going to dump them? Just like previous generations, some of them blew it, and uh, that was it. 
So what about my children? How do I know you're going to keep the promises that my children will be worthy of it? So Amalei Lav, Amalei Fanov, didn't I tell you, you asked me that before, Amalei, I told you, you can take a korban, so Hashem answered Avraham, I already told you that your, the Bnei Yisrael have nothing to worry about if they sin, they could bring korbanos. That's good when the base of Migdish exists. But when there is no base of Migdish, what's the Jewish people going to do to fix their mistakes? I already gave them the Torah with the listing of the Kabbanas. If they read the Parshas HaKabbanas in front of me, I look at it as if they brought them in front of me. I'll call Avonosechem. That's why the, many people say the Karbanos in Shul, a very important part of the service. Um, in Beth Jacob, they don't uh, say it publicly because people are in a rush, they've got to go to work. But there definitely is an important part of the service is the Karbanos. There is an interesting question. Is it enough to read the Karbanos? Or do you have to, in another place it says, study the Karbanos, Osek Behen. Can you just casually daven them up? Or is it a, a little bit more that's needed? Because we don't believe in magic. Like, you can't just say some words and get all your sins forgiven. It, it must be that there's more. Um, it's toiling and trying to figure out the difficult mesechtas of zvachim and menachos. That's what some people uh, would say uh, this means, this discussion here about the korbanos. Or it may be the concept of the korbanos. Um, the interesting question I saw is that uh, didn't Hashem promise no more floods? So, uh, in other words, the rainbow, we got a promise. Hashem said no more floods. So why is Avram saying, maybe you're going to flood my people? So I saw two answers. One is that Hashem just promised not to flood the world. But uh, there are places that can get flooded. That's answer number one. Answer number two is even scarier. Says that there won't be a flood of water, but there could be a flood of fire. There, there could be a other destructive bombs or other things that could uh, uh, could happen, and and that uh, Avravina, what he said that there'll be a mabul. A mabul isn't just a flood of water. There are other things that could flood the world, and today we know all about those kind of stuff. So it's just interesting that discussion about the mabul. Okay, first, why the last skinny line? Tanravan. So what they do, what do they daven for? So we know the Kriya Satora about the world. So what do they daven for? So they daven for their brothers. She's They first daven that the korbanos of their brothers should be accepted. In other words, with the korban was the davening. They would go in shul and they would fast four days of the week. Starting with Monday, those four days. The first day they would daven for those that travel in the sea. Very dangerous job to be a sea traveler. Those that travel in the wilderness. It's interesting because, you know, we do all kinds of travel. It needs a lot of prayer to keep us safe. Revi al Askara. Um, the Revi they davened on Askara. Remember Askara the Grouch. That's the name of the sicknesses, the plagues, the diseases that affected people. You got to daven for sick people. Shlotipo al Tinochas, especially for children. Vachamishi uh, on Thursday, Aliboros Seminikas. They davened for the pregnant and nursing women. Iboris, the pregnant women, Shlotipo. They shouldn't miscarry. 
Minikos, the nursing machine, that they should be able to nurse their children. Not on Friday, because we don't want to go into Shabbos fasting. And certainly they wouldn't fast on Shabbos itself. Um, I believe so. I believe so. I, th- I think we mentioned it. I, I think we got into the details before. You're you're saying you remember that, or or you're asking? What? Oh, oh. I I believe it said they were just daytime fast. That's what I believe. But I'd have to look back to see for sure. So uh, we said on the first day of the week they didn't do it on Sunday. Why not? That was my time alone. So now we're going to see some shocking answers. So the first answer is Omer Yo we're not going to have services on Sunday. We don't want the Goyim to think that we worship their holiday. Now, this answer is a little strange because the Gomorrah was written before the Christians. Uh, there weren't any Christians around. So uh, some people say the Christians, uh, when they took Sunday as their day, they actually borrowed it from the idolaters. That were other, There were other religions that had Sunday. The Christians were uh, the original... Christians, when they wanted to uh, sell their religion, they picked parts from other religions that they thought would be popular, and they used that to win converts. So uh, when they picked Sunday, they were grabbing something from the uh, other religions of the time that worshipped on Sunday. That, that's what they say. And so we didn't want to have a big religious power on Sunday because of that. Uh, and people shouldn't think that we also think Sunday is extra holy. Um, Reb Shmuel Bar he says a different reason. The third Sunday is three days after, after Friday. And Friday is the creation of man. The third day after something big happens is the weakest day. And so it's not yet, there, it comes out that the first day of the week is a weekday. Not a weekday, like a, not a strong day. Um, Rashi brings, Shlishi Liyitzirah, Adam Nivra B'Yom person was created on the sixth day. He says three days after something big happens is, is not strong. That after the bris, after three days, they were hurting. So he says in general, the first day of the week, this person doesn't feel up to full strength. He says, we just lost our extra soul. We get it on Friday. Uh, since a person has Shabbos, he gets a new soul. So when you lose your soul, you need a day to recuperate. So the first day, we're not at full strength. Fascinating discussion. It's interesting that there's so many opinions about that. So then we said on the first day the Kriya the Torah was Biomarishim Bereshit Vihirakia. Tani, we learned. Bereshis Bishnaim. They divided that into two readers. Yihirakia, that was read by one. Bishlem Yihirakia Ba'echad because it's three psukim. Ella Bereshish Bishnaim. How could you read Parshish Bereshish with two? Hey psukim in it. There are five psukim. How do you divide five psukim into two aliyahs? And we learned that Karbat Torah Yivus Megimu psukim. There's a certain, you have to get at least three verses. You don't call someone up to read the Torah for less than three. So how do you divide a Parsha of five into two? So Rav said, no problem, dolik. You repeat. You read one and then you jump back. In other words, the first one reads three and then the second one jumps back and reads three. Shmuel says posik. You cut it in half. You cut one pasuk in half. 
So now we have a basic argument here about what to do when a Torah reading doesn't have enough psukim. Rav, Omer, Dolog, my time will Omer Posek. Why can't you cut it in half? Why should you have somebody repeat the very same words? Kesavra, he holds, Kol Posuka, Delo Posek Moshe. He said, well, if when Moshe uh, uh, brought the Torah, he didn't stop in the middle of a Pasuk, and non lo Paskin lay. So we have no right to cut a Pasuk in half. So he can't do that in a Leo either. Mishmul says, no, uh, Amar Posuk. He says you could. Umi Paskin, and are you sure of Amar Rechanino, Kara, Tsar Gadol, Hayali, Eitzel, Rechanino, Hagadol? Rechanino, he was a Torah reader that taught children. And he he wanted uh, some sukim were too long to teach a child in a single setting. So he went to the Rebbe to get a hetzer to teach half a pasuk. And he said, he gave me trouble. He only permitted me to do it for students. But otherwise, there's no, you're not allowed to, uh, to do that. You're not allowed to split a pasuk. Rashi, two lines from the bottom. Two wide lines, second wide line. Rokhina Korat, Shaobal Hamikra. It's a title of privilege to be considered a Balkora. If somebody calls you a Balkora, you should say thank you. That's Shaobal Mikra, Vyoda Begirsa. He says, a Balkora, he knows the proper text. Ubaki Bini'ima, and he also knows the notes. That's what a Balkora is. Okay. He knows the proper way to read it, and he knows the two. Listen to this. He says he went back to the Rav many times. To cut a Pasuk in two. Because, you know, not every student can read a whole Pasuk, and it's too long for them. Some, sometimes you need to divide up the text to make it easier for them. But it was an emergency decree, so to speak. Yeah, sometimes you're allowed to, but not. there's no reason to allow that in a Kriya Torah. Back to the Gemara, four lines from the bottom. Uh, five, I'm sorry, not four, six. Vishmul says, Hasam time am I Mishum Dilo Epsher. Well, what's the reason you're allowed to do it for students? Because it's impossible. They can't memorize the whole Pasuk. Hachanami Lo Epsher. Well, here also. It's true we prefer not to split a Pusik, but you got to do what you got to do. Shmuel says, Pusik, my time, or Loma Dalek. So, so we have their argument. So why didn't they agree with each other? Why doesn't Shmuel like the idea of just repeating a Pusik? So the Gemara answers, There are always people that leave Shul early, and there are always people that come to Shul late. Unfortunately, it's not a new factor. So if you, uh, if you just got to Shul, Haneknasim, and you hear the second aliyah, and you see them reading all three psukim, you would assume the first aliyah was only two psukim. And you'd say, aha, I learned the halacha now that you can read two psukim. Or, if you left early and you read three psukim, so you would assume the next aliyah will only be two. And you'll think the halacha is you can have an aliyah of two. And this is how mistakes start. So, since we don't want people to start to think that you can uh, read only two psukim, we don't do that. We don't double a pasuk. Meisvei. has a question. Parsha shoshisha psukim. If you've got a parsha of six psukim, koren osu b'shnayim. That you know that works perfect. Three and three. Vishil chamisha. What if you have only five? Ima rishon koren gimel. If the first one did three, hasheni koren shnayim. Parsha zu vechem parsha cheres. 
Well, what's the problem? Why should you read two? Start the next parsha. Read two and one. The Yesh Amrim Gimel Afish Ein Meskim Parsha Pachas Meshul Shepsukim. So what you'll do is you'll end up reading three more because if you start the next parsha, you've got to do at least three psukim. So why in this case we're not splitting it and we're not just uh, repeating it, we're actually going into the whole next parsha. So why over here all of a sudden we don't take either solution? We don't uh, repeat and uh, we go into the next parsha. So Mar said Shani Hasam. No, that's different. Um, uh, the Isle Ravka. The, you could read a push, you could start the next parsha. In other words, when it's possible to start, sometimes it's appropriate uh, that to start the next parsha. But by the amados, you can't get into the next parsha because the next parsha is something else. And so sometimes it's appropriate to go to the next parsha, and sometimes you have to find a solution. Okay, have a great day, everybody. Be well.